you know, I want to, you know, commend you guys as well. You guys have a absolutely, you know, this is a fantastic platform. Um, as you said, it's for footballers, you know, and this is a rarity, you know, in the whole podcast scene, you know, like you have mentioned before, you know, there are tons of podcasts, tons of things that you can listen to, tons of things you can watch on, 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 on football. But when it comes to actually talking footballer to footballer, guys who play the game, you know, in um, one, you know, podcast or, or, or in one circle, just kind of talking about things and just kind of airing it all out there. You don't get that. Welcome to another episode of For Footballers Only. I'm Mike. I'm James Pinay. And today we have a special guest. Justin Reed. <laughs> welcome, 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 Justin. Welcome, Justin. Happy on the show, Justin. Thanks for having me, fellas. I appreciate it. Yes, Thank yes. You. All right, Justin, let's get right into it. Where did your football story begin? Wow. So my football story began uh, at the age of four. Uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. So both of my parents are from uh, Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, unfortunately, last June, uh, I, lo uh, I lost my father uh, to cancer. Um, but he was the, the catalyst in terms of getting myself involved with football in addition to uh, my brother. So, um, you know, after moving here from Canada, um, I started uh, with Montgomery Soccer Incorporated. Um, I I'd lived in D.C. at the time. Uh, so I was four years old when I started, you know, played with them, you know, up until about, you know, the age of eight. And then I went into to travel soccer, you know, played for a variety of clubs, you know, between the age of nine uh, to 18 years old. Um, so soccer has always been in our blood. It's always been something that my family, you know, loves, you know, even to this day. And that's something I always credit my father uh, for passing on to um, uh, my brother and I. So I played uh, after 18, I would continue and I played at the University of Delaware. Uh, played there for four years. Uh, and my brother, he actually played at uh, the, the George Washington, um, you know, university. So even to today, um, I continue to stay in the game in some form and uh, capacity. Uh, I currently run a, a program called Quick Feet Soccer for Kids, uh, which is between the ages of uh, two to seven years old. It's in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, this season has been our best season ever. Um, we got about 350 kids that are registered um, you know, in Upper Marlboro, Silver Spring, Alexandria, Arlington, uh, D.C., um, you name it. Uh, we're kind of all over the place right now. Um, and in addition to Quick Feet Soccer for Kids, I also uh, <clears throat> host a tournament uh, with um, a partner, uh, Glenn Goodwin, and he is with uh, Future uh, Soccer Club. And I don't know if you guys just uh, heard the news, you know, but Future just, uh, their U18s, they just won uh, the Dallas Cup, which is a uh, prestigious tournament. You know, so I'm very, very happy to collaborate with them. And it just kind of shows that, you know, although we may be competitors in some way, shape or form, uh, we need to come together as soccer people and work together, you know. So we're collaborating uh, with the DC Cup that we're going to be running from uh, July 2nd to the 5th. And one of the last things that I do in football is uh, I help to uh, co-found an organization called the Black Soccer uh, Membership Association. And pretty much the main focus of that association is to bring black coaches, administrators, referees, uh, players together and just kind of give us a voice. It doesn't have to be the only voice, you know, because there are other associations, um, black run, you know, associations who do things and they may do things a little bit different. But I think we're all kind of headed towards the same goal. And that's we want to see uh, advancement. You know, I don't care too much to see equality because I know equality will never happen. But I would love to see advancement of Black coaches, administrators, and kind of us focusing on what is best for us uh, in this industry. 
Yeah. So that's how my journey started, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's that's, that's a lot. It sounds like um, pops planted planted a you know a great seed. All right, so let's let's go back. Let's go back a little bit. Um, you know, at four, uh, four is when you came here, right from Canada. Um, so I actually came here at three months old. Oh wow! I was three months old when I came here, but I started playing uh, soccer at four. Yeah. Okay. So then you you know you play and and um I think you said you play rec up till nine nine ish. Yep. So during during that during that entire period, did you have any football idol? Growing up, um, not really, man. Because to be honest, we just kind of just played in the streets uh, at the time. Like this is back in the eighties. Um, you know, my brother being seven years older than me, uh, we kind of get the kids in the neighborhood together. We we'd always be the best kids because we played the game. So we play against like big kids you know seven eight years old who are football players or basketball players they have much coordination but that was kind of our way of just kind of getting out there and just kind of playing uh, yeah. uh, in the streets but in terms of an actual idol um, I can't really say that I watched too much football growing up you know and I think part of it is because it wasn't that accessible you yeah. know here because think about it you're talking about the 80s right so yeah. major league soccer you know I mean that's not a really a league to really idolize in terms of players I mean at least got a long way to go but we didn't have access to, you know, the Spanish league or the German league or anything else, you know, even the Brazilian league yeah. uh, in the eighties. So I can't really say that uh, I, I idolized anybody growing up. Okay. So, so then at, at what point did you start watching the game? I would say I started really watching the game around, um, it was 1994 for the world cup. So I was 12 years old and my dad and I, so we, we didn't go to any of the games, right. Cause he, even though it was here uh, in yeah. the U S but we would just sit and just kind of watch uh, the Brazilians, you know? So I, I would say by about 12, then I started to kind of look at players and said, wow, you know, Romario, Bebeto, you know, those guys played, uh, um, you know, in the 94 World Cup yeah. and they were great to watch. And then I think come 1998, you know, we watched the 98 World Cup. Um, Ronaldo, I think he played in that. Um, Ronaldinho came, I believe, in 2002, you know? So I would say the Brazilians were really the ones that, if there was a country of players that, you know, I idolized, it was between the age of 12 and up. Because so, uh, uh, you say, especially growing up from rec and all the way up to, like, I guess, when you start playing competitive, mm -hmm. there was no, like, resource or assets. What keep right. you playing when you have no information? What keep you going, especially as a young kid at that time? As a young kid, I just think just the competitiveness. Because, um, I mean, soccer was always number one. You know, and my dad kind of gave me a choice um, when we moved to Prince George's County um, when I was eight years old. You know, I also like basketball and, and I started as a freshman on the varsity high school team. But he kind of gave me an ultimatum. He said, you know, either you're going to do basketball, or you're going to do soccer. You know, I figured I wasn't going to be some six, four, six, eight LeBron James type player. Right. So I might as well kind of transition into soccer and, and just play it. So. That's kind of what kept me going. You know, I would say um, the support of my father, uh, watching my brother play um, in college, you know, watching him play in high school. Um, and then, of course, the, the the competitive drive, you know, playing travel soccer and then meeting, you know, a lot of guys that look like me. And we were able to get out there and just kind of play and, and enjoy ourselves. Yeah. So, <clears throat> all right, let's go back to, you know, you, you start watching the 94 World Cup and then... Um, uh, I take it your your love for Brazil was partially influenced by your dad. 
Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, it so, was. So you know, there's this thing, right? There's this thing where um, I'm sure you know this by now. Your, your dad talked about it. For um, black folks, particularly mm-hmm. Africans or Caribbeans, mm-hmm. um, essentially, you know, because for a long time, the none of the African or Caribbean team made it, you know, far, right? So the Ragged Boys or mm-hmm. you know, Trinidad or Nigeria, etc. Mm-hmm. I mean. I think it wasn't until, you know, the 92 Olympics when Nigeria won, as, mm-hmm. but prior to that, it wouldn't, they wouldn't go far. So every, right. every, like, you know, every, everyone else, the, the next team that is close to heart is the, is the Brazilian team. You know right. what I mean? Like, 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 all, like everywhere, like I've been to at least over 20 African countries mm-hmm. and Everyone, you would think Brazil is the national team, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like right outside the national team. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> you know, it's crazy. So, you know, so I take it, you know, Bob's was a major influence on uh, following the Brazilians. But yeah. with that said, um, so the first question is uh, so you watched the 94 Brazilian team, you watched the 98 Brazilian team, mm-hmm. you watched the 02 Brazilian. Uh, in 06. Let's go with those, you know, those four teams, right? Mm-hmm. Which Brazilian team out of those four is the best team? I would say the team with um, uh, Ronaldo. I think that was the best team. Well, that Ronaldo team. was on all, all those teams. Yeah. Well, yeah. He wasn't on the 06. He was on the 98 was when he was at his peak. Yeah. And that was a player right there, you know, because I was a forward uh, in high school. You know, I transitioned to defense mm-hmm. um, in college. But just watching him, you know, really got me thinking, man, you know, I would love to be fast and quick and strong. Just yeah. just an unbelievable skilled player, mm-hmm. you know. So from an a, um, a individual standpoint, I think they really had a lot of good individual players, yeah. but they also were a team as well. You okay. know, so to answer your question is really, really hard. But I would say really the World Cup, Brazilian team that stood out to me was that 98 team. 98? Yeah, yeah no, okay. Even 90. though they, they lost to, to France, I believe, right? They yeah, lost yeah, to France. They lost to Sudan, essentially. Yeah. Sudan. He, 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 he won that World Cup. That was a hell of a squad, man. And Harry, Harry scored the first Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, but. Anyway, that's another story. But um, they won, you know, in, the, the, in 2002. But, okay. Right. No, that, 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 that 98 squad was, I mean, you had. Whew, yeah, the Nelson mm-hmm. getting busy. Mm-hmm. You know, he, like, uh, he was sweet. I mean, my dad would always say, what? How come he didn't start? You yeah, know, right. like, I think he was playing with like uh, Real Betis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my dad just said, he, he kept saying, Why didn't he start? Why wasn't he a starter? When he came in, man, it just like, Well, like, I mean, you woke up. Yeah, you know, no, woke. but it was like, it was tough because, you know, he, like he, they essentially had to move Rivaldo mm-hmm. um, to, to, you know, to be able to put him in. Yeah. No, I mean that 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 yeah that ninety eight. I mean that's that's love right there. I mean yeah. even, even that 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 uh airport commercial, you know, like I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. the, when they they come through the airport and you know they play the Samba song, the song and, and the yeah. Yeah. I mean that's Juggling. just love. Yeah, you know I mean that, that yeah. that's love. All right. So with that said, so all right. So your favorite Brazilian team is ninety eight. <laughs> that's that's official. Who are in your okay? So if you saw that you you know you say you saw you seen some of the interviews, so you know this question is coming. And you know that there's no right answer and no wrong answer. Mm-hmm. And your brother uh, is going to get at you 
regardless of what you say, because you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna say some things, you know what I mean, that the football community may not agree with. Right. So uh, the question is, who's in your top eleven footballers of all time? Wow! 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 <laughs> <laughs> so 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 many quality players out there. So I mean, you, you want me to take them from position to position? No, or I no, 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 no. You can just like you know what what like what some people do is some people just oh, say okay, you know they're just gonna do Brazilians. That's how crazy it is, right? right? Some people Brazilians. say I'm just gonna do eleven Brazilians. Some people uh -huh. some people actually you know do whatever it is. Um, but it's all up to you. You could do all goalies. You could do all forwards. You could do all like it doesn't matter. Okay. Well. Um, uh, Ronaldo's definitely number one, you know, the Brazilian Ronaldo. Okay. Uh, Ronaldinho, to me, is number two. Okay. Um, I'm going to go in the defense with the Brazilians. I'm going to take uh, Roberto Carlos, okay. sweet, sweet, sweet striker of the ball. Mm -hmm. um, and then let me switch over to, to Africa a bit. Um, I would say, um, what's the Ghanaian, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now, the, the Ghanaian midfielder. He's really good. Michael Essien. All right. I like Essien. He's quality. Uh, Henri, you know, great player. Um, hmm. Now, uh, now I'm going to stick to players that I watched. You know, I'm not going to go back and say Pelé. And even though Maradona, you know, I was alive with Maradona, but I don't quite remember him um, youth-wise. Um, Ronaldo, you know, Portugal's good. Um, he's been quality. I would say... Uh, this is going to be controversial, I guess, but uh, Messi, you know, and the reason why I say it's going to be controversial is because some only think he's good when the ball's at his feet. Um, I would say uh, Iniesta, he's a sweet player to watch, man, you know, when he was in his prime. I remember that one um, Euros, I think they played, I think it was the Netherlands in the Euros. I, I know they played the Netherlands in the World Cup, but they played some team in the Euros, and I mean, that really got me on, on Iniesta. I said that that, that guy's sweet. Um, hmm. All right, so, so that's eight so far, right? Yeah, yeah, three eight so far. Man. I would say um, Patrick Clivert. You know, I liked him as well. You know, good finisher of the ball. Zinedine mm -hmm. um, Zidane. You know, I mean, even though I was cheering for the Brazilians <laughs> back in '98, you know, I was still happy that France won. Yeah. You know, I was still happy, you know, because of him. Like, I just thought, you know, he's just a great, great, great midfielder. And the last person I would say is um, uh, Andre Perlo, to be honest. Uh, Slow, you know, but just his, his approach to the game, man. Yeah. Like, the, the, the guy would never really lose the ball. Um, he's just, just, just sweet on the ball, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say those guys, I mean, mostly midfielders and, and forwards. Yeah. Um, uh, that's, a tough, that's, that's a tough list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, like, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a number of ballers you didn't name, but it's a tough list. I mean, your brother's going to get at you. I'm sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, but, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's all part of it. Right. I mean, you could say like Patrick Vieira, you know I mean? It's just, just so much talent, man. Yeah. I mean, so many great players over the years. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, so you, you were kind of fair. You know, you named uh, two from that 98 uh, French team, Henri and uh, Zidane. Mm -hmm. And then you had, like, four from the Brazilian team. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a fair. So, so you said something about Messi. I mean, I know 
I just want to break that up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was trying to, I was trying to let that go. What, what was your comment? You said Messi. Well, I mean, uh, well, well, okay, all right. Well, I mean, look at Messi, right? So Messi, to me, I think he's won like thirty-three European titles. I, I think it came across my feet, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, he, he just recently won the the, the Copa del Rey. Yes. Messi hasn't been the same since Xavi and Iniesta. Yeah, about that, right? Because they were so important in his you know, distribution, right? So they distribute him the ball. He receives it maybe at the top of the box, takes a couple guys on and scores, yeah. right? That's most times how he scored his goals yeah. because he had that support. When that support left, I think we saw a decline, right? In terms of goal scoring, in terms of uh, assists, because he didn't have that quality behind him, you know? Yeah. So that brings up the question, how good is he really? You yeah. know, I think he's a great player, you know, but is he what the media makes him out to be? Mm. Talk that talk, Justin. I think that's the talk question. Talk that talk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's it. That's it. We we uh, have to cut. We have to like cut this whole piece out and, and put it out there. How good is Messi? <laughs> how, good, how, good how, is good, how good is he? No, I mean, you know, like this is a. Um, I mean, this is a big. You know, if if you if like if you talk to any folk, any of the folks from South America, for instance. And, you know, because the comparison is obvious, right? Everybody like to compare him to first, they would say, oh, you know, Maradona. And then Pele, you know. Um, and, but if, if you talk to folks from there, and this is always done by Europeans, actually, mm-hmm. you know, or Americans, folks, you know. Um, but if you, if, you know, if you sit and actually chat with Brazilians or uh, Argentinians, you know, folks from even Colombians, you know, it's a different, they're like, you can't be serious. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, there's, there's tears to it, right? Right. That he's a great player, but the league that Maradona and Pelé, like, it's it's almost un, like, you know, this it's hard for you to touch. Right. I keep saying the only, you know, the only person that may be able to touch this um, may especially as he get older, may uh, actually be Sedan, uh, mm-hmm. given that you know he's won everything as a player, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and in a dominant coach. fashion, in a dominant fashion, and then mm-hmm. you know he's won uh, three champion oh, leagues in a row as a coach. Yeah, yeah, the only thing he hasn't won is like I keep saying, you know, if he goes to France and if he mm-hmm. decides to be the French national coach, he wins that, and then he goes on to FIFA. You know, then then he just then he's in a league of his own. But right now, like, it's you know, if you really just sat down and study or even look at games and saw what Maradona did, both on a club level and the national level, mm-hmm. and then you did the scene with Pelé, it's kind of a hard argument to make. Yeah, you know, to compare Messi or even Cristiano to those two guys, mm-hmm. they really, I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know, like. But you really have to really study the game, you know what I mean? Because I get like to your point, if you don't really take a lot of time to study the game, the mm-hmm. media, the narrative that's created will create this thing where Messi and Cristiano are one and two, you know, like they're mm-hmm. the greatest, you know, of all time. But you know, even to that point, that's where I think I agree with you. And what I will add on to, I think Messi have no leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Especially playing on a team like Barcelona, he you don't really see him in it especially as a leadership role. So I think to be a great player of all time, you got to have that leadership, like how Maradona did when he was playing. He, and I agree. You have the whole team with him. 
And I don't right. think Messi can do that. That's why you struggle on a national level because you don't have the leadership. Right. And think about that. I mean, didn't Messi quit the national team <laughs> yeah. briefly? I mean, yeah. what great player does that? Yeah. You know, just get up and say, hey, I'm not going to represent national. No matter what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, they can't really be something that bad going on behind the scenes for you to want to quit you know, mm -hmm. yeah. No, yeah, yeah, the yeah. national team. Seeing that as something that's temporary. It's not your club. You know, if it was your club and, and that was going on in Barcelona, whatever's happened in Argentina, then yeah, I can get that because they're with your club, you know, nine, 10 months out of the year. The national team, you'll probably, you know, on any given year, you'll probably play about six or seven games with them, you know, and you're doing stuff on the break, you yeah. know? So what makes you want to just quit your national team, just totally let down, you know, an entire nation and you're supposed to be this great player. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, he's, a, he's he is a great player. He's a yeah, gifted yeah. player. You know, he's, I mean, like, when physical gifts, um, he's he's there, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. there's there's a little more to it. Like, you, like if you're comparing him with a lot of other players, then yes. But once you bring in those two guys, mm -hmm. I think the the everything changes. Like, you know, like it's like. Yeah. You, uh, unless, like you have to just just spend a weekend and watch those guys and then and also not just the um like what they did on the field mm -hmm. but understand the context of things that's going on outside of the field and their yeah. performance mm. in those games that's true you know what i mean like that's when you you just be like oh this is like this is, you know, like when when Maradona said it's the hand of God, like people don't really understand what that means. People think it's out, like he's like saying this is justice, you know right. what I mean? Like because of the war, you know, like so it, it's like, like you, I, I, you know, I encourage any football fan who think Messi is, you know, the greatest to visit Argentina or visit Brazil, and then you, once you like talk to some OGs. You know, mm -hmm. you see those guys hanging out right outside the, you know, the the Coca Cola, like the little the little bodegas. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then yeah. hanging out and talk like then you you oh, okay, I see, I see. Then you get the no. truth. Then oh yeah, no, it's different because it's, they're it's, there. Yeah, it's they, different. They're, they're getting a totally different type of news. Yeah, they're getting a totally different type of vibe. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's just a, a totally it's, different feel. Yeah, it's different. Man. Yeah. It's different. Now, now one quote uh, I saw recently from from Ronaldo. Um, and I can't remember verbatim, but I thought it was really, really good. I know he gets like a bad rep, you know, because his attitude or people think he's arrogant and so forth. Mm -hmm. But he says something to the effect of sporting Lisbon, where he first started, yeah. uh, they saw him. And then he said Manchester United made him. Mm -hmm. And then he said a couple other things from the team. So Real Madrid gave him a great opportunity. And then he said that by the time he got to Juventus now, he's more of a polished player. But what he said is he's going to go back and play for sporting Lisbon before he retires. Wow. even if it's one season yeah. because he could have found himself working at a McDonald's, yeah. you know, if sporting Lisbon didn't find him. Yeah. Now to me, that's somebody who's, who's very gracious. And he, yeah. if you learn a little bit more about Ronaldo, you hear that he has no tattoos. And I'm not saying if you have a tattoo that you're a bad person, mm -hmm. not saying that at all, but he has no tattoos because he made um, a vow to his grandmother that he's going to give blood. Yeah. So he wasn't going to get tattoos. He doesn't drink, doesn't do drugs. Yeah. You know, he seems like he's a, you know, I mean, yeah, of course, all the women like him and everything, but now he's, he's, he, I guess he's married and he's got three kids with now one woman, you know, not saying he's not doing some other stuff on his side, but I mean, he seems like he's a good father and a good person. Yeah. I mean, Messi um, is as well. Like, Messi you know what I mean? is like, as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, Messi is, well. is like, yeah. you know, Messi is, is, um, you know, he's, he's amazing. Like he's a quiet guy. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, yeah. He just like, goes about a, his business, loves his yeah. kids and 
and, you know, his wife guy. and so forth, you know, but j just to hear Ronaldo say that was kind of a fresh of, you know, it was, it was a, it was great to hear a breath of fresh air because a lot of these players, what they want to do, some of them, not all of them want to go to major league soccer, you know, and yeah. kind of get their last paycheck, yeah. you know, like Ashley Cole said, you know, I'm just going to LA just to chill at the beach, you know, <laughs> I'm not really going to go play for major league soccer. <laughs> Oh, Ronaldo said, pretty much said, I don't need the money. I got enough money. I'm going to go back to where I started from because everything in life comes full circle. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, that's cool. cool. That's, that's, a, that's a whole other uh, conversation, that major league uh, comment. Yeah. Um, Did you yeah. leave comment? <laughs> yeah, that, that comment that Justin just made. Uh, okay, so this is what, you know, so going through your um, trajectory, right? So you, you know, you started playing as a kid. You then started playing more competitive club ball, played in college, and then, you know, uh, came back and then uh, started, you know, coaching and programming and tournaments, et cetera, you know, all this stuff. Well, and, you know, right now where you are is, you know, a combination of, you know, coaching, administration, um, you know, mm -hmm. policy, et cetera. So what would you say is you find the most challenging thing at this point in your career yeah that's a good question i think the most challenging thing is um being able to differ differentiate the coaching to like the business side uh, of soccer um you know i didn't go to school for a business degree i mean i took business classes um but i graduated with a degree in um contracts and technical writing and you know all that stuff so that was kind of my focus so when it comes to writing you know i can do it but I think now when it comes to growing a business, there's a little bit more challenges there because there's so many different levels, you know, to business. So I've been reaching out to some mentors, you know, of mine, you know, kind of guiding me through the process. And they're kind of teaching me, like, how do you uh, scale up um, uh, your soccer business? You know, so now, you know, I've been able to take Quick Feet Soccer, you know, for kids. You know, we've grown it, you know, 350 kids this season. You know, we're, we're on pace to get close to, you know, 700, you know, 800 kids, you know, when you factor in the fall. We don't really do as much during the summertime, but I'm now going to start to run summer camps, going to start doing, um, you know, the DC Cup and just kind of other ways to generate uh, a buzz to the overall business. So I think scaling up has kind of been one of the, biz the, the toughest challenges, you know, from a business, from a business of soccer, you know, standpoint. Um, so in, in, in terms of like actual coaching, um, I won't say that I have too many challenges just because I think my path of a coaching is, is different to a lot of others. Um, I know, um, a lot of black coaches, you know, so say they're involved with, um, you know, the college game, for example, and say they've been assistants for a while, maybe their challenge would be trying to get that head coaching role. Um, you know, but that's not necessarily what my challenge is because my, um, you know, business of soccer has kind of switched in a sense where I'm not really focusing on the next license, right? Like I don't really need my D or my C or my B or my A license for what I'm doing. Um, so that's not a challenge that I face, you know? So from a coaching standpoint, I really don't think I have too many challenges ahead of me. I just think kind of more from the business of soccer and that's what the yeah. challenges are. <clears throat> so um, so with, with that said, you know, what is the challenge in scaling? Is it, uh, you know, getting more, more kids involved in the game? Um, is it, uh, you know, developing more programming to, you know, accommodate and, and um, to, you know, to accommodate the, the more kids? Is it 
the kids that you currently have, uh, there's a disconnect between what, you know, the development process that you're trying to implement, um, like which one of those things, or it could be something else actually. Yeah, so I, I mean, I would say it's something else. I, I'd say it's more in line of, of the coaches, like maintaining the quality. Um, you know, when I first started, you know, Quick Feet Soccer for Kids, you know, that was started 14 years ago. And um, I kind of did it on a whim. Um, I didn't want to work a nine to five. I was working at this, this like healthcare office. And I was doing that, you know, literally from nine to five. And it was like data entry and I was getting paid next to nothing. And I was just like, you know, I, I don't want this to be my life. Um, so I was fortunate to get the support of my parents in terms of saying, okay, well, yeah, well, we sent you off to college. We had to pay part of your, you know, college tuition in order to get you graduated, but we will support you in your next step, you know? So they supported me in terms of launching my business and so forth. So, um, that, so anytime you have a business, it, it's your baby and there's nobody else that's going to treat your business the way that you treat it. Um, they're not going to put in the amount of time. Like sometimes I find myself putting in 12 to 14 hour days, um, you know, nighttime sitting here working, you know, uh, I have a daughter, you know, so I have to, you know, help to take care of her during the day, seeing that we're all, uh, you know, working from home now. So, you know, I got to make sure she's taken care of and I got to make sure, you know, at nighttime that I, I can catch up with emails. I got to catch up with a lot of things just because it's my business and I have to make sure that my customers um, are, are satisfied in order to keep my retention. So the challenge now is finding those coaches that will understand what the quick feed soccer for kids expectation is. Um, you know, when we do our exercises, you know, I don't like to call it drills. I like to call them activities or, or exercises for the kids. I don't want long lines, you know, so I don't want a coach who's going to have the kids in long lines. You know, I want the kids with a ball at their feet the entire time, dribbling, moving, um, you know, scoring goals, you know, always kind of, you know, there has to be an end goal, you know, especially when you're dealing with kids that young, between two to seven years old. So the, the ability to scale up and not scale up in the terms of maybe some of my other competitors who've gone on to franchise, you know, these kind of, you know, soccer top programs and just kind of franchise it out to anybody. Like, I don't want to do that. You know, I wanted to maintain its quality. So we got our programs here in the Washington, D.C. area. If we were to expand to California, it's going to be the same quality. All right. So it's kind of like when you go to Starbucks, right? When you go to Starbucks, it's the same menu. You yeah. know, you get the same drinks, no matter what Starbucks you go to, if there's one here or if there's one in China, you know, that's the quality that I want to keep across the board. You know, I don't want yeah. one coach to have long lines out in California while another coach is keep teaching the kids to dribble. So that, yeah. that's been the challenge. Yeah. So what would you say uh, <clears throat> is the worst mistake thus far as a, uh, someone you know, a, a football entrepreneur, essentially, right? What would you say has been your worst mistake as a football entrepreneur? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Um, hmm. So my worst mistake, I would say, would come in line of, you know, kind of staying on the line of coaching um, and the hiring process. Um, there was one time I had um, hired like a handful of coaches and they, they didn't fit the character as kind of what I expected them to fit, you know, for the organization. Uh, but I was so eager to hire them because I needed, you know, a coach, you know, to fill the position. But I didn't go through the proper steps. You know, everything in life has steps. So, you know, I didn't do the interview process. I just kind of just threw them out there, you know, only to find out that these same coaches ended up missing, you know, two to three practices um, in a row. And I ended up having to refund the parents back all their money 
you know, and I ended up being like four or $5,000, you know, in like one class for eight weeks. I had to give all the parents back their money because of this coach, you know, so I ended up losing a lot of money. I lost that location. Um, you know, of course, you know, I, that, that coach, I don't, you know, those coaches, I, you know, I don't stay in touch with at all anymore. Um, just because they kind of showed their, their true character as far as, as, as who they were. But yeah, so I think that was the, the biggest mistake, just kind of rushing through things. Like, again, everything has steps and, every, and nothing needs to be rushed, especially when it's your business, right? When it's your business, you have to take your time and you got to find the right people, you know? So that, that's a mistake that I made. Yeah. So like uh, with your organization right now currently, if I, as a parent, right, what is the expectation, especially for parents, if I'm bringing the kids, what, uh, what should I expect my kids to be gaining from uh, your organization? Yeah, good question. So our mantra is have fun, learn soccer. And it's really that simple. Mm -hmm. um, we want parents who are going to be there and supportive of their children. Um, and I always let the parents know from the get-go, look, we're not going to have the next Cristiano Ronaldo tomorrow. All right. Uh, soccer is a sport that your kid may not even end up liking, you know, 10, 15 years from now. But the thing is, we help to give them that foundation and we help to give them an opportunity to be active and to see if they like something. Maybe they may move on and they may do ballet or they may, may move on and do, you know, basketball or football. But at least we provided them with that foundation. So we don't try to, you know, like, like, like the saying goes, um, we don't, I mean, we, we want to over deliver under promise, right? I mean, is that correct? Right. So I mean, yeah. we don't want it to be the opposite. Okay. Where we're like giving all these parents, all these expectations and kind of what to expect. And then when the time comes, you know, we under deliver, you know, so we just let the parents know that, you know, this is the foundation. This is your kid's first kick. You know, our organization is called quick feet, but this is the kid's first kick and a good opportunity to be in an organized setting. And yeah. then we'll see what happens from there. So, and and um you know what would you say like normally how long do parents like your 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 program goes up to what age 7 years old and then we'll move them on to the local clubs um but I, but I also just recently launched a program called the uh uh well I, I helped to co-found this it's called the North America uh Caribbean Training Method so NACTM Soccer Academy and that's really for kids who are between the ages of eight to 18 years old, but kids who have now transitioned to teams. This way they can continue to come back to us in terms of kind of helping them, you know, with whatever they need help on. If it's improving their juggling, improving their striking of the ball, their finishing, <clears throat> their passing and, and, and so forth. But quick beat soccer for kids does, it, it, that, that goes up to, to seven years old. Yeah. So, um, okay. Actually, that's an interesting model. So uh, quick feet starts at, three or birth or, you know, yeah, two, two to seven, two to seven. And then they age out and go play. Uh, if they're still interested, they may go play with another club. Mm -hmm. um, but then they, you know, they always have this, uh, this new programming that you've developed from eight to 18 that they can come back for additional developmental, um, you know, activities. Right. Right. Correct. So, so, so we, so we stay in our life in some way. Shape yeah. Form. yeah. Mm -hmm. What, so given that, um, you know, like, how are you uh, educating parents that, you know, the, the development process, like, you know, 
you're doing the development for, for the, the football development, right? So you starting at, at three or two and then going mm-hmm. on, and even if they go to clubs and they come back, you're still doing the football development. But how are you doing the parent development so that they understand that this is a long game and, you know, all the things that are needed to, to have them stick with it, essentially, and encourage their kids? So, I mean, we, we have a pyramid that we show the parents just kind of saying, okay, well, quick feet soccer for kids is the starting line. All right. The kids will stay in the program for five years, you know, so within a duration of five years, they'll do 10 seasons. Right. So the spring and the fall. And of course, they have the option for the summer. Now, this is just a once a week. There's no competition. There's no games. The kids will compete against each other in the class, but we keep no scores. I mean, we don't care about that. We just want the kids to, again, go back to our mantra and let's have fun and to learn soccer. So we let them know that that's kind of stage one. And then stage two would be now the transition. So by the time the kid hits seven, some of them may need to go into a recreational program because they're not quite there yet. They may not have the basic skills, mm-hmm. um, you know, ability to, to, to dribble the ball and keep it close to your feet, uh, dribble at all different speeds, change of direction, be able to turn with the ball. All right. So if those kids aren't ready for that, then we would suggest to the parents, hey, here's a recreational program that you can uh, consider. Uh, the kids who are ready now to transition into the club scene, you know, to, to play travel soccer, which does happen. Some of those kids might leave us a little earlier. They might leave us around six or six years old. And we may transition them to club so that they can get acclimated with some seven and eight year olds uh, in, in, in the under nine. Um, but we explain to the parents, look, after you leave quick feed, it's, it, it's, it's kind of crazy out there. <laughs> the youth soccer world is kind of crazy out there. You're going to meet parents of all different backgrounds, all different income levels, all different understandings. You know, So we try to let them know, manage your child's career, and you just kind of focus in on that. Don't be that parent that kind of bounces from team to team to team, because it's kind of like a kid bouncing from house to house to house, right? I mean, if you are a child and you are from like, you know, army parents, mm-hmm. you know, every two years, you're, you're going to be living in another state, mm-hmm. you know, probably every year you're going to be living in another state. What's well, the same thing with a club? You don't want to bounce from club to club to club to club just because you're unhappy, you know, because the coach said something to your kid or the coach isn't, you know, teaching the kid this or teaching that, or, you know, your kid's not getting a lot of playing time. Well, if the kid's not getting a lot of playing time, then invest in your kid getting like personal training or, you know, small group training to help that kid, you know, maybe talk to the coach, get an evaluation, you know, so the kid knows what to work on and to improve, but don't be so quick to. Mm-hmm pull the trigger and say, Hey, I'm taking my kid from this kid from this club and I'm going to move on to another one. So I try to, you know, educate the parents on kind of what to expect out there, you know, cause I have done it as a player, you know, I've coached at, you know, the U9, U8, all the way up to U18, um, you know, l- levels as well. So I'm familiar of, you know, with the youth soccer landscape, but I try to let the parents know, look, don't fall victim <laughs> to what's out there because it is really screwed up. The youth soccer landscape in the United States is really screwed up from a parental development standpoint. Stay calm, manage your child's, you know, soccer career. Yeah. And what's the, what's the feedback or the response you get when you- It's always pretty good. It's always very good because they, they thank me, you know, and they just don't think me at that point in time of talking to them when a kid ate quick feet, but they also thank me, you know, um, five, six years into it, you know, when a kid is U15, U16. Um, and that's part of the reason why we started the NACTM program, because I, I want to know how these kids are doing. Um, you know, although Quickfeed's been around for 14 years, there's been many, many times I don't know what 
kids are doing, if they're still playing or not. Um, there was one kid um, I just brought back uh, to Quick Beat, and I hired him. Uh, he, he's going to be going off to college, but he was a part of that U18 team that won the Dallas Cup from Future. He started with Quick Beat when he was four. So mm -hmm. I know what he's doing, right? Yeah. I know what he's up to, but I don't know what a lot of the other kids are up to. So that's part of the reason why that program continued. And that way I can continue to educate the parents. And I always keep, you know, an open door policy. You know, all, all the pay, even though we have an office number for quick feet soccer for kids, I do give the parents when the kids age out, I give them my cell number and I always tell them, look, if you have any questions about the process, just give me a call. You know, I'm always going to give you an unbiased point of view, you know, because yes, I, I'm a trainer. Yes, I'm a coach as well, but I'm no longer in the youth soccer club scene, you know, so I can give you an honest assessment, you yeah. know? So, yeah. And I, I mean, a lot of parents like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're, you're doing the, um, a great, a great job it, it's something that needs to you know it, it, we need more of it right like so the you know everyone knows this is something i talk about all the time i think parent development goes hand in hand with you know soccer to, football, football development right the skill development the technical the you know everything we're doing with the kid <clears throat> a lot of that can be um boosted and you know uh support it if the parent development piece is is added on but it can also be hampered and you know there can be all kinds of constraints and uh issues if the parent doesn't understand the development process right so to the point you made about hopping from club to club or program to program seeking this um shining something you know something out of the sky that on the other side yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then, you know, at the end of the day, the kid end up losing because mm -hmm. they, they, their development growth gets stagnated. They also don't, you know, when you're constantly jumping, they also don't build the relationships, even just from a, you know, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> an emotional level, right? And, uh, um, you know, building relationships with friends or even the coaches, et cetera. Um, when you're hopping every six months or every three months or whatever it is, that, that can become extremely stressful. And then the kid loses interest in the game. And, the, this, you know, this could have been the next messy, um, as yeah. every parent thinks they have, you know, now. Right. <laughs> so right. it could have really been the next messy. But, uh, you know, but, yeah, this, no, I mean, I, I, I think parent development is a huge piece. Mm -hmm. And I think for the, um, you know, so it's great that you're, you know, you're doing this work, something we do as well. Um, and, you know, for other coaches out there and administrators, uh, you know, this needs to be a major part of the curriculum, you know, that um, it needs to be a major part of the curriculum. And it, one of the things to understand just how the technical and tactical development is an ongoing process for all these years. It's the same thing with the the parent development, right? It's not, like, you know, I, I talk to a lot of coaches and, and, uh, and folks involved in the game and they think, oh, it's a one-time thing. Like I tell these parents, you know, I already told them. I told them at the beginning of three seasons ago, whatever it was that, you know, this is a, and, you know, in, in, uh, in their mind, and, and a lot of this, a lot of this, I should say, the, the disconnect is because like a lot of these folks happen to be from football native cultures, right? So, you know, you from uh, your parents and stuff from Trinidad, if you're from 
you know, anywhere else where, where, where football is the thing, mm-hmm. the, the way we understand the game, we assume that everyone else understands the game that way. And so we don't have to do that, you know, the, the, the work, the educational work, because it's like, no, the parents should know, like development takes, you know, whatever it is and, you know, all this stuff. Um, and that's not the case, right? No, it's not. And, and here, what I've noticed also, there's, there's another dynamic here. So you have, there's some coaches or some programs here that primarily serve the working class, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a different parent development that needs to take place in that, that group, right? So if you have an immigrant uh, or working class um, uh, population, the parents may not have the, you know, they may be working, so they may not have the time to show up at the games or the practices and, you mm-hmm. know, also, so there's different type of parental development and communication that needs to take place between, you know, the coaching and, and, um, and the parents and, and the kids. And then, you know, what you normally hear about is the, the other group where is the more middle-class or affluent um, parents um, who may have the ability and, you know, the, the means to be at the practices, uh, be more involved, et cetera, et cetera. And as a default are more, um, are more assertive, right? right. In their, their mm-hmm. ideas and actions, even though they may not know what they're talking about or, right. you know, they don't know what development is, right? So, right. But, but, but it just, ha- I mean, it's just a natural thing, right? If I'm there, if I'm standing there and I'm at practice, all the time, or I'm at all the games, I'm seeing this with my eyes. I'm also, you know, paying $5,000 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to feel like I have an opinion and my, you know, and my opinion is the right opinion. Now, it's not just an opinion. I have a fact, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I have, mm-hmm. and, you know, um, right. and so that, that requires a different kind of, uh, you know, parental um, development. And that, that one actually takes more patience. And that's what I find with a lot of the, the coaches. The coaches are patient with the kids, but they're not patient with, well, the, patient with the parents. Right. And that's yeah. very interesting that you bring up that point because you got to also keep in mind that those same parents who are dropping $5,000 a year for their kids to play club soccer, their kids are probably also going to private school. Yeah. Uh, my brother, you know, my sister-in-law, prime example, both of my nieces, they play at, um, at Braddock Road. Mm-hmm. And um, my brother probably spends about $3,000 each per year on each of them. Yep. They also go to private school, yep. you know, so he's very much involved. Now he played the game, yep. you know, and I also have to tell him sometimes, you know, just, just kind of just let them enjoy this. <laughs> you you right. had your moment, right. you had your moment to play youth soccer, <laughs> yeah. let yeah. your daughters just enjoy their moment. Let them just play, you know, yeah. they're going to mess up sometimes just cheer them on, yeah. you know? So yeah. uh, he does that. And most times he's very, very quiet you know, yeah. uh, on the sideline um, for games that, that I can actually go and actually attend. So those parents are very much involved in their kids day to day. Yes. You know? and, and you bring up a great point about the other parent, right, which is the working class parent. Yeah. I've been on that side, too. Yes. I, I've been that coach to go pick up that kid yes. and go take him to training, yes. you know, pick him up in, say, Prince George's County yes. and take him all the way down to Southern Maryland yes. you know, for training. Yes. And then bring them all the way back. You're talking yes. about me being with that kid the entire time. Yes. Me influencing that kid. And I know yes. there are coaches who still do that to this day. Yes. You know, and their parents are nowhere to be found. You don't yes. even see the dad. No. Don't see the mom. No. And unfortunately, and, you know, it's not like, you know, when I did that, that I wanted anything in return. A lot of those parents don't give you anything in return either, right? I mean, they, yep. they don't give you, um, you know, a little gas money. They don't give you a little anything, right? But, I mean, you're not really asking for that because you want that kid to get that opportunity, you know, yeah. to play. But yeah, but that's just a totally different 
yeah, yeah. parent no, that you're working with. Yeah, you know? it's, it's a dynamic that um, right. needs to be accounted for because I think a lot of times when the, you know, the, the <laughs> conversation around, you know, um, issues with parents, right? Mm -hmm. Like coaches talk among other coaches, right? And so mm -hmm. a lot of times the, the issues with parents is more on the fluent, the middle class ones. It's, it's, mm -hmm. more, it's more where it's like, um, the way you think about it is like a teacher who has a curriculum and is trying to teach the kids, you know, a certain thing. And then there's a parent that is, you know, critiquing or questioning the validity of what, you know, the teacher is doing, right? Right. Right. Um, but I always say to that, man, I always say to that, then, you know what, parent, why don't you go coach the team? You know, why don't you go teach your kid? Mm. You know, you're paying that coach money or you're paying that club and that club's paying that coach to teach your child. Mm -hmm. You know, in some cases that coach is getting his licenses and he or she's getting his licenses and they're learning how to become a better coach. Yeah. You know, it may not be translating to the field, you know, because they may still have their own approach, yeah. but still they are spending the hours to educate themselves. Yeah. Um, one quick story, the, um, the owner of Capelli, um, I got a call, you know, from a parent, you know, who's based in New Jersey, but he runs, uh, the Cedar stars or he, you know, he started Cedar stars and he runs Russia and everything. Mm -hmm. So his son plays on one of the U13 teams. And there was one time, one of the parents who called me, you know, he was talking, telling me this story that his son was going to take the free kick and his son ended up taking the free kick and it went over bars or something. But the owner of Capelli, who also owns this club, Cedar Stars, went to the, the kid and said, don't take the free kicks next time. My son is going to take the free kicks next time. Anytime I'm on the sidelines, you are going to have to listen to me. I'm the coach. Oh, wait a minute. Let me get this right. You own the club. You hired this coach to work for you. So you're the coach anytime your son plays a game. How does that work? Yeah. How the hell does that work? So unfortunately, I mean, and, and that's kind of an extreme situation. Yeah. You know, there's not always owners of, of clubs that are on the sidelines, but that's yeah. the kind of crap that goes on, man. Yeah, but he's not in this country. You know, <laughs> so, like, it, it, uh, so for clubs, right, because um, mm -hmm. this is a, another issue, right? Another issue is that um, a lot of coaches feel like their hands are tied behind their back in how they can communicate and engage with parents as it pertains to, you know, parental development. Because the mm -hmm. clubs the programs are so afraid of losing that income stream, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if they, you know, given like what you, the example you just gave, not, not even this example, but before that, when you said, well, what you try to tell those parents is that, you know, the coach is the coach for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, if you think you, you can do a better job, why don't you go coach? You know, right. like, or why, why right. don't you have your own team or whatever it is, mm -hmm. right. that conversation even though it's a valid conversation, it's a conversation that needs to be had, for most coaches, they're in a system that they can't not have that conversation with the parent, right? Mm -hmm. So they feel, they feel their hands are tied. And so they, you know, they just live in this frustrated state. Um, and it's almost like, you know, it's like almost like being micromanaged in a way, right? Yeah, um, and is. then you have, you know, have parents that would, um, you know, take notes from what's going on in practice or games or whatever, and then go talk to the DC or go talk to the, you know, the CEO or whatever it mm -hmm. is. And, and, and so then it, you know, it creates this atmosphere that's not productive. It's not conducive to learning and, you know, um, Oh, and it's a terrible atmosphere for yeah. a coach to grow yeah. up in. I mean, there was this one time I was coaching this club in Bowie, um, uh, Bowie soccer United. It was a U13 team. This was probably like, like 10, 12 years ago. But I'll never forget the treasurer at the end of one practice. He came up to me and he said, oh, you're making $250 an hour. 
Like he calculated everything I made, right? How much I made that season. And then he broke it down by the hours because he was a treasurer. And he decided to take that out on me, I think, because his son wasn't playing or didn't get enough playing time or something like that. So it's all types of shit that they do, man, you know, in order to hold it against a coach. I mean, it's so ridiculous. And I would never forget this one time in Virginia Beach. I was just filling in for, for a coach, um, you know, for the, the, the Herndon Soccer Club. And one of the parents or two of the parents across uh, on the other sideline, here they are, you know, they're business owners and everything like that. So it was an early morning game, you know, and the kids weren't playing well. And I really didn't know the kids, right? I'm filling in for this coach. So I'm just trying to get them going and just kind of managing the game. And I would never forget one of the co uh, parents across the, the sideline said, coach, Justin, get your head out of your ass or something like that. Like we were down like three, nothing. We were just getting, we, the other teams just running over us. Right. Yeah. And we weren't prepared at all. I didn't know the kids' names. I'm just filling in for this coach. Yeah. Right. But it's just different things like that. Yeah. You know, that unfortunately coaches, you know, have to deal with, you know, in this country and there's really no protection. Like you can't turn to us soccer to help you. You can't turn to the state of Maryland to help you. VYSA is not going to help you. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I mean, it's it's still the wild, wild west out here, man. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a youth soccer coach. I think with me as well, it's like uh, when, when you develop, the preparing development part is so important. Because we live in the U.S., I like to compare like the American sports, like basketball or American football. Like those parents, they understand the, the, uh, the development part of the game. Although if it, even if they don't like the coach personally, they can tell if the coach is actually developing the kids. So I just think it's so important. The parent development is so important so the parents can understand and they also can see what the coaches are doing that it's, it takes time to develop players. You can't just happen like that, you know? So right. I think it's very important that we continue developing the parents as well because it's the process with the kid is also a process with the parents. It is. That both sink in, then you build the culture and the passion as well. It definitely is, yeah. you know, and I don't think like for quick feet soccer for kids, again, we offer classes, right? Yes. So we only see these kids once a week. We may see them 16 times in a year if they do eight classes per season. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's in a sense, our responsibility to kind of like, you know, get the parents understanding the basics, but it's not really our responsibility as they kind of grow through the That's process, true. you know, being a part of a club. And I think a lot of clubs neglect the parental development side of mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do know that some clubs may have all the parents get together in the beginning of the season, and then that's it. <laughs> I mean, you, you just can't expect these parents to know everything. You know, you can't expect to know, to, for them to understand, like, how are they, how is their conduct supposed to be, you know, on the sideline? And the reason why I say this is because when I go to my niece's games, you know, she's U13, you hear these parents making all these side comments about these kids on the field. Oh, she's not a good player. Oh, you know, God, why did you pass the ball there? It's just different things like that. And, you know, if they're saying that on the sidelines, they're probably yeah. telling their daughter that as oh, well. Yeah, yeah. And then their daughter is now going to circulate that among the team. And that's going to make, give that player's confidence lower. Right. And as we all know, right. All three of us, I mean, you know, we all play the game. Football is a game of confidence. Yeah. You know, when you go into a game and you're confident, you're not losing that ball. You're dribbling past that player. If you're a defender, you're going to, tackle and win that ball because you're playing well you yeah. know but unfortunately some parents bring that negative energy into the team it goes to their daughter if their daughter doesn't like this girl or doesn't like that girl and then it starts circulating and messes the whole team up you know so that parental development is crucial 
Yeah. Not just in the beginning of the season, man. It's got to be a, a every week thing. Maybe give them practice for rental practice the yeah. twice a no, week, actually, three times a week. Seriously. Yeah. A, a few things I want to say. One of the things we used to do um, uh, when we we had like uh, almost like a between six and nine, right? So like that age group. We used to, at the end of the, the season, we would have the kids versus parents, mm-hmm. right? And this, and this was like, first of all, the, the, the kids are so ready. But what's crazy is that the mm-hmm. parents would be so ready. Like, the parents, like right. these parents <laughs> are so competitive, right? And, right. Then, and, and then when the game starts, when they start playing, the parents realize, oh, it's not as easy as it looks from the sideline. Do you know what I mean? Like the what mm-hmm. my kid, you know, like my kids was trying to hit the ball, you know, they miss hit it or whatever. Normally, when the parents are on the sideline, it's like, oh, you know, they they yelling at the kid, you know, right. and stuff. Right. Now that they have to do it, they have to control the boy. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden they're falling, you know, like falling down, yeah, can't and, dribble. And then, it, yeah, then it, 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 it's it's crystallized to them how mm-hmm. difficult this is and how, um, like how impressive the improvements that kids have made from, you know, from when they started to where they are now. Right. So that, you know, that piece that you, that's an important piece where, you know, getting the parents to understand that, you know, this is, especially if they have to play, they, they really do understand it. Cause you know, for a lot of us, it's, once you hit a certain age, you're not even trying to walk before I even right. say, before I even say run. You know what right. I mean? Right. just trying to sit down and, and relax. But right. what I was going to say was, Concerning the parent development, given how, you know, how difficult it is, I think the role you play, especially, you know, you're going from two to seven, mm-hmm. that's such a crucial period because you can lay the groundwork for wherever these kids go in the future. So the point, to the point where you're developing, you know, you're, you're, you're putting in place such strong foundations with, uh, with the parents so that they understand what development really is and, and how the process should be. So when they go to clubs, wherever they go at eight, nine, 10, et cetera, et cetera, they're coming with these expectations that they can then manage and even help. They may, you know, cause some programs are not, um, some programs are stated development is what I call stated development, right? So like, you know, everything says, oh, we develop players and do this, et cetera, et cetera. But that's like, I mean, that's not what they do. You know what I mean? Right. And it's not their fault. Like, you know, I, I don't blame anyone for the lack of development in the US, right? Cause I think it's a feedback loop system, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the programs are reacting to the expectations of the parents. The parents are reacting to the fact that they're paying, you know, this money. And so they want to see something. So the programs figure, oh, we just have to win. And so mm-hmm. put the strong player, the fast player, oh, we just score, you know? And and we do that, do that, do that, do that, do that until they hit 16, 17, and they, they haven't developed. Now yeah. everybody's strong and tall and fast, but nobody can control the ball or, or mm-hmm. mo- no, nobody know what runs can play the, the ball in the air. So no one there's no the game IQ. There's no tactical awareness, none mm-hmm. of that. And mm-hmm. Now I'm 17, and so then, you know, I can't compete with anybody. I can't compete with any any of the clubs or the kids in Brazil or Nigeria or uh-huh. London. You know, none of that. So, so then it, it's just it. Yeah. You know, I thought I was I was I thought I was hot, but right. obviously I'm not. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> but but by then it's too late. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so it's it's a vicious feedback loop. But you know, I still feel like you know we can chip away at it by 
you know, doing the work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even with the 300 parents, uh, so let's just say that you have the season, if those 300 parents continue and it multiplies to 600, 800, et cetera, that's a huge crop, right? Mm -hmm. That when they eventually go off, you know, maybe 200 of those will go off to clubs or whatever it is. That's a huge group, you know, and, and they will come in understanding that, no, this is a long game right. and we need to focus on actually developing mm -hmm. and give the coaches and the programs the time and the resources and support that's needed so that these players can truly develop and not just win games mm -hmm. and win the, uh, be, what would it be going to say? Win the U9 World Cup. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I still, right. like, that was so hilarious. Like, we need to do, I, I still, I'm going to find a, uh, like someone who does comic and mm -hmm. do like a, you know, a comic rendering of this, the U9 yeah. World Cup. It just passes out to like, because cause that's what it feels like. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, if, like folks <laughs> act like, you know, like it's everything, like when it is every, you know, um, so yeah. So I just want to say, you know, like for you to, you know, really, I commend what you're doing. And I want you to continue to do it. And, you know, uh, because the more parents are developed early, mm -hmm. you know, that will continue in their, if their kids decide to pursue the game, that will definitely continue, you know. Um, Definitely will. And, um, you know, you, you'd asked me a question earlier about one of the mistakes I made. And, um, you know, you just kind of triggered something there in my mind as something to remember. Um, I had launched a club. It was called the Quick Beat Soccer Club. And I launched that back in 2012 or something around that time. Um, and it only lasted about two or three years. And the mistake I made was I brought parents onto the board. That was my biggest mistake. And those parents who came onto the board kind of collaborated because all they wanted to do was win. They didn't care about development. They wanted their kid to feel great, you know, after a Sunday game or after a Saturday game. So they can go talk to their kid, their friends during the week and say, hey, you know, I, I won this game. I scored this goal. Didn't matter how they played. They just wanted to win. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we were developing players and we were moving kids up from the soccer class and we were kind of transitioning them into the quick beat soccer club. And we were doing well. Like, you know, one, one season we went like nine and one, scored a bunch of goals. This was like in the uh, Central Maryland small sided league. And then the next season, we ended up losing like three of the top players. So we ended up going like one in 10 the next season. And that was it. The whole thing collapsed because the parent mentality again, you got to win. They want, they want their kids to win. They expect they're paying money. So they expect their kids to win. They don't care about the development. They don't care that, you know, if the team declines, that just means that, okay, well, we can't get any worse, you know, record wise in the way we're playing, forget the record, just the way we're playing. We can only go up from here. The patience. You know, unfortunately, there are some parents who don't understand that patience. So that was kind of made up of the folks who kind of joined the board. And that was kind of one of the biggest mistakes that I've made. So anybody who starts a soccer club, do not add any parents. <laughs> That's one mistake I made. Do not add any parents to your board. If you got friends who played college, so you played college soccer with or played youth soccer with and they don't live in Maryland and they live in California, add them to your board, you know, because at least, you know, they have the same mindset as you. Don't think you have to have a board of just your parents here <laughs> or just parents. No, I'm doing big mistake of my life. But anyway, I mean, it turned out for the better, to, to be honest, because I was yeah. able to expand quick feed, you know, to all these different locations as opposed to just staying in, uh, in, in Prince George's County. So uh, a question for you, right? So with yep. the development part of the kids, is it, is it a local club issue or is it the federation, the U.S. Federation issue? Yeah, man. I think it's a, it's a state issue. Um, you know, we can't rely on, on U.S. soccer. I mean, U.S. soccer loves the pay-to-play model. 
because that's how they generate their income. Um, if you ever look at the revenues of U.S. soccer, U.S. soccer does about $158 million uh, a year. And remember, they're a nonprofit, but mm -hmm. most of their money comes from sponsorship, right? So about 52% of it. Some comes from coaching education. Some comes from dues. Uh, some comes, they have like eight or nine revenue streams. But the dues that the kids pay is something like seven or eight dollars per kid. Well, think about it. There's 3 million kids registered under U.S. Youth Soccer, over 3 million kids. That doesn't include the kids in AYSO. That doesn't include the kids in U.S. Soccer. So just take that 3 million. Imagine each of those 3 million kids paying $7 a year just for this so-called insurance. That's $21, $24 million, right, that they're generating alone. Some goes to the state, and then some goes to U.S. Soccer. That's what U.S. Soccer cares about. It's, it has to be the goal of the state to regulate the problem with the state and say the state of Maryland, for example, is you got people who double dip, right? If you ever look at um, Maryland State Youth Soccer Association, you may have people involved with Bethesda and SAC who are your big clubs in the area who are generating your three, $4 million a year, but they're also running the, the state. So you think they're gonna care about that little club that's generating $200,000 a year? They're not gonna care. So that's a conflict of interest. So until MSYSA and the state start kicking those folks out and not allowing those folks, right, to be involved with the governing of soccer in the state is when you might see some change, you know, but you're never going to see change when you have a conflict of interest. They have the best interest of the big clubs in Maryland. That's what the state does. They could give two craps about the little clubs. So the little clubs are always going to stay little and they'll never grow. And a lot of them fail. So to me, it's a state problem. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Never thought about it. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, given what's the hot topic, you just brought up something that, that, you know, jogged something in my head about the hot topic. So the hot topic right now um, is the proposal for the Super League. Um, by the time this interview comes out, which will be in a few weeks, chances are there won't be, uh, this will be, this whole idea will be dissolved or it will be, you know, shelved. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned conflict of interest, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's, there's something I actually just came up with, uh, you know, before we started um, recording um which it never even occurred to me before right mm -hmm. what occurred to me um well actually let me let me before, before i even give my my perspective on the situation let me ask you your perspective on the the super league uh situation well i mean you know I, you know as you said this recording is going to be out uh in, in a couple <laughs> weeks and as of right now is down in two teams right it's like el clasico all over <laughs> with barcelona <laughs> With Barcelona and Madrid being the final oh, two. I mean, look, I mean, I see what they were trying to do. I mean, like they say, the cream always rises to the top, right? Thanks. So you've got all these billion dollar, you know, clubs. Manchester United is on the, the stock exchange and, you know, Barcelona is owned by the members. So is, uh, you know, Real Madrid. And yeah. they generate a lot of money. So yeah. these clubs never get relegated anyway. So they figured, hey, why don't we just start a Super League? We're all going to be together. It'll be like the 
the NFL, it'll be like the NHL, be like Major League Baseball, where it doesn't matter how bad you are. I mean, you, you could finish like the Washington, I mean, Washington Redskins did good this season, but like, say the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL, you can finish last and not go anywhere. You're just right. going to come back the next year. You can share revenue. So I understood what they were trying to do. Yeah. But the problem is that Europe has a model that I think others want to emulate. It's just they're afraid to emulate, you know, because of the financial reasons, mm. right? So the fact that, say, Germany, even though, you know, none of the German clubs got involved with the Super League, but you can go to Germany, you can play down to Division six, uh, 7 or 8 or something, mm. and those Division 7, 8 clubs can actually move up, even if you started a club in a pub and give yourself an opportunity. This is like a local club that people can actually get behind. There's solidarity payments that pass hands. Right. So if a, a division eight player from Germany is excelling and he's good enough to play in like, you know, the Bundesliga, then that player could be bought by, you know, Bayern Munich or or whatever. Mm -hmm. To me, I think that's a great model mm -hmm. because it kind of, you know, circulates the money and it mm -hmm. kind of gives clubs an opportunity that they don't have the money of, you know, your Real Madrid's or your Barcelona's, you know, in order to move up. But they can stay somewhat sustainable, mm -hmm. you know, so it's just kind of. Um, it's kind of strange because, I mean, people, I think, do look to Europe with the promotion relegation. And this Super League was just going to totally take that away, you know, and it was just going to pretty much be, again, like the NFL and like, you know, you know, Major League Baseball. So, I mean, again, I see what they were trying to do, but I just don't think it's, 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 it's really needed just because people do emulate, you know, um, uh, La Liga and, and the Premier League and, you know, the Championship League and all that stuff. So. Yeah. Okay. So I have, uh, I mean, there's so much I have to have to say mm -hmm. about this, but what you just brought up, I think that's that's a great point about you know the the relegation aspect of most of you know the leagues and you know outside of America essentially, right? So outside of American sports, in most countries, there's this relegation aspect that you know goes up and down, mm -hmm. um, and to my understanding, at no point was the Super League going to have any impact on the relegation aspect. It was, you know, the whole idea was that, you know, all the teams that were still in the EPL will still have the EPL structure and they can still relegate, et cetera. You know, the only difference would be the Super League that um, has these, you know, mega, mega, mega teams that when any of these teams finish lower than sixth place. It's national news. Matter of fact, when, when, it, when, when they're lower than sixth place during the season, not at the end of the season, right? Mm -hmm. During the season, if any of these things are at sixth place, the coach mm -hmm. gets fired. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? So the, the, Jose Mourinho, right? I mean, yeah. didn't he just get fired from, from Spurs? From Spurs, yeah. yeah. Like, it, it, um, uh, you know, Tuchel just came into Chelsea, right? Chelsea, mm -hmm. uh, like this, uh, every every single one of them. Every so, like you know, for me, so that's the first. The first thing I wanted to say was that you know the the whole idea of relegation uh, was still gonna you know still stay in place in the Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga, etc. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just that these mega teams were gonna you know be in the Super League where there won't be relegation because they do not relegate. They've never, they 
like it's, it's not even a concept but like be, like be, before it, it even starts to like you know by the time they start getting to seven the coaches mm-hmm. get like they start bringing in new players you know like i mean it's, it's not even is so the, the, the that's the first you know dishonesty for me mm-hmm. that i was noticing about people who claim to know football mm-hmm. um and follow football and and you know and all the stuff and and really the way it was done which I think is the unique is the unique aspect of this is that mm-hmm. what was done was UEFA and the you know the major media outlets so Sky Sports, uh, etc. Push this narrative that you know this is gonna hurt. Football. This is a war on football, right? This this is like completely against everything football stands for. This is going to destroy competition. This is the you know all the all this stuff, right? And and for a while I was, I was kind of like, um, especially like you know watching all the the um, the football personalities on Sky Sports and um, talk. I was I was trying to figure this out. I was like, what you know, these I would think these guys would know better. Mm-hmm. You know, like they'll, they'll truly have, they'll have an understanding, but then, you know, when it, it actually clicked to me today, when I was talking to James, I was like, oh, I see what this is. So here, here it is from a business aspect, right? Mm-hmm. And then we can go into, um, you know, so the, the argument from the, like the, the narrative they created that this is going to destroy competition. This is, um, you know, like, you, you're supposed to play and the best you win and, and this and that, you know, like, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Every one of these teams, the, 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 the 12 teams originally that mm-hmm. was in there are in, in their leagues, you know, in Syria and in La Liga is one mm-hmm. and two. Right. And, 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 um, and in you know the the English league, all of those are in the top six. I mean, they, 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 they like, and then and then <laughs> Champions League. Matter of fact, I'm not even so you know before the, before it was before it converted into Champions League, but it's always been like the European Cup, right? Mm-hmm. So from from fifty six from nineteen fifty six to now. There's only outside of those twelve teams. There's only been twelve other teams that's even won the cup. Mm-hmm. Right. It's always it those teams. Like, it, it was like ninety nine trophies between those twelve teams. It's always those teams. <laughs> right. It's, it's always those teams. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. and then the the other team the, the 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 other teams that weren't included in that um uh in that list that won. Happen to be Ajax, mm-hmm. Porto. Mm-hmm. So these mm-hmm. these are also the in their leagues. They're the super teams in their leagues as well, right? So this mm-hmm. is the this is the part where like so you know this whole idea of just fair competition. Like we make it sound like um, I mean the the discussion sound, made it sound like oh you know it's just it's just guys like you know it's not like you know like if you look at well, yeah, I was thinking about this. If you look at any of these teams, like the, um, you look at Man City, you look at uh, uh, Man U, you look at Barca, Real, Juventus, etc. Every one of these teams, what they have on their team is a super team. They have the top player in their position. Each 
on every one of these teams, mm-hmm. everyone on the starting lineup is a starter on their national team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not even a question, right? right. Like, right. the guys who don't start on the national team are on Everton, on, uh, you know, Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they may not even get a call to the national team, right? Mm-hmm. But on these teams... They're, they're all the stars, all right? Starters, and, right? And then, and if you, you know, you go country specific, you go to Spain, between Barca and Real Madrid, I think they have like seven of the starters on the, the Spanish national team. <laughs> Spanish you know what I mean? Right, like, right. And then if you go to England, those, those six teams or whatever it is, like all the starters are right there. Like they're right. all on Man U, Man City, uh, Ars- like they're, they're all there. Right. So there's no competition uh, anyway. Yeah. That's the point, right? <laughs> right. But, but, but this narrative was created, right? The, the narrative was created that, oh, no, this is going to destroy competition. This is going to destroy the league. Mm-hmm. When the, you know, even the EPL, like, you know, it, every now and then, you know. Um, Leicester City might slip through the cracks yes, or something. And, and, right. and you saw how big of a deal that was, mm-hmm. right? Like everyone, mm-hmm. because it was a big deal, mm-hmm. right? But did, did, they, did that happen the next year? No. No. Did it happen the year after? It was like, five that years down. ago. Yeah, they shut that down. Like that, I mean, that was... is Man City leading the way now? Man yeah. City's going to lead the way for a yeah. while. Yeah. And, and, and plus, I kind of add what you're saying. Look at how many of those 12 teams have been in situations where they there was no financial fair play. You right. know, on top of that, right? Then UEFA would find them fin- financial fair play, you know, because they had the, the, the amount of money to go get players. I think Chelsea got in a situation. Barcelona has been in situation. Every, every single one of them. So the competition, there's really no competition in the first place, yeah. right? So I totally agree with you. UEFA's narrative, it was again, UEFA and FIFA in one corner to try to monopolize everything because yeah. they figured, hey, these 12 clubs are leaving, mm-hmm. you know, and we're going to now lose money. So we're going to say, hey, you guys are not allowed to play for the, in the World That's Cup. That's my point. So, yeah. so here's, here's, here's what I came up with. Here's what, here's what I came up with, right? So I was like, oh, so, because I was trying to figure out like why you know ex ballers Roy Kane like you know all these guys you know, Ferdinand on, came out all, all these guys Wright. on Sky Sport like you know they they're all there talking. Hey, I was trying to figure. Came out. I'm yeah. trying to figure out why. And so then I was like, oh, I get it, I get it. Here's what it is. Right now, uh, you know, there's a contract, right? So uh, there's a contract with EPL. So mm-hmm. think think about it this way. There's say EPL has a hundred million dollar contract for the season with Sky Sports. Well, when uh, the Super League starts, all these teams that everyone, the reason people watch the EPL anyways is to see, you know, these these ballers on these teams. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of the diehard. See, this is the, this is the part where I think um, they're, like, they're not being honest about, right? Now, mm-hmm. if I'm from... If I'm from, uh, you know, like a, a small town in um, in England, right? In my town, like if I'm from Burley, like in my town has a team, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I've been a diehard, like you said, we started this team in the pubs, et cetera. You know, we built it up, we built it up, we built it up, et cetera. And this team is now in, in the English Premier League. I'm watching this team, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm in um, uh, Singapore, I don't, I'm not interested in Burley. Right. I'm interested in Man City, United. Man United, Liverpool, Liverpool yeah. Chelsea. Those are the teams I'm, I'm trying to see. So Burley, it's cool and it's good, 
but Burley is not why folks is watching the EPL. Right. You don't see people walking around with Burnley jerseys here. Right. In, in, now, in if I'm from Burnley, if, if I'm from the, if I'm from that city, yeah, I'm repping that, you know, that 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 hard. And, right. you know, we want our boys to win. Like, you know, we want these lads to do their thing, et cetera. And and hopefully they may get a win here, they may get a point here, and then move up. And it is it's entertaining and, and that's good. But mm-hmm. the 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 real interest, the worldwide interest for European football does not come from these small, small clubs. Mm-hmm. Right. Even the players on these small, small clubs, as soon as they get the opportunity, they jump to these bigger clubs. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so here's the thing. When, when you have the EPL with this $100 million uh, broadcasting contract uh, with Sky Sports, but then the Super League starts, right? So then you take these six teams out of the EPL, and now they're in the Super League. And the Super League said, well, no, we need a, we, our contract, because this is what people, everyone wants to see anyway, our contract needs to be 500 million. So now Sky Sports had two contracts to broadcast that 100 million that nobody's watching because all the, the, you know, the top teams are no longer there. And now the 500 million that everyone's watching, right? So there's a financial piece there that none of these guys are being honest about when they're making these broadcast narratives about this is a war on football, this is this and that. Like, and, and because when I first, you know, when it first started, the first thing I said, I was like, well, if, we, if I, I was like, I get the money aspect, you know, like it's fine to say the money, but if we're going to talk about just from a pure competitive standpoint, why are we, why do we have the Champions League and it's only for European teams? Why not have a, you know, like if, if it's champions, because the, the idea behind the Champions League is, and the way it's sold to the world is, these are the best, the best clubs competing the right. against each other, each other. right? Yep. And then the, mm-hmm. the winner, the, the person, you know, the final one wins. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if that's really our goal to really push football globally and, you know, really true competition, why aren't we having, first of all, England shouldn't have six places, uh, whatever spots. It should be two. Like, it should be every, every major league should have two. Two spots. Yeah, two spots, the winner mm-hmm. and the second running up, right? And then we open this up to all the major leagues, right? So right. Latin America, like, you know, like Africa, they, yeah. the entire mm-hmm. American block, the entire African block, the entire Asian block, et cetera, all the blocks, right? And you can like, and, and, and the thing is, this is going to be even like, for me, I'm like, this would be so much better for football. Because mm-hmm. not only would it open the, the pot to where everyone can see the true talent that exists around the world, right? So now when you have all the, you know, the, 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 the American teams playing each other, right? So from, we're talking from, you know, from Canada, from the MLS to, um, you know, uh, the Brazilian league, like all, like, league, Peruvian all, league. All, all of that, right? Like all mm-hmm. of them playing each other and then the, the best four or whatever it is, the other ones that go to the semis and then you do the same with Africa, et cetera. Then when, when you have, you know, when you have Real Madrid playing uh, Flamingo. Now, I mean, like, can you imagine? Like, can you imagine? What, can you imagine what, that? Right. Like, you know, I mean, Mike, but currently, don't don't um, FIFA running the, the, the FIFA uh, FIFA World Cup kind of does something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's but it's it's like 
that's not what it is. Like, first of all, what they, not, do is, right. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. what they do is, you they, know, they like, just take like the best team, like whoever <laughs> finishes best in MLS will play against like whoever <laughs> finishes best in like some Australian league. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And those, like, it's not even a thing. It's not like the thing right now is the Champions League. And, yeah. Yeah. and it, because it's marketed and sold as the best competition, mm-hmm. right? So if we're saying like, the, the, now if like, yeah, FIFA, FIFA, like, and you know, the, the other part of this is like the demands on these players' bodies, right? So, uh, you know, I mean, like if if the, the the Super League were to exist while these teams are still in their native leagues, hmm. these guys would be playing like five games, you know, four like a week, four games. You know what I mean? Not yeah. even including like the international. Not uh, even getting like the seventy-two hours you need to recover your yeah, body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it'll it'll be crazy, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so what I'm saying, like. So like, I I just think it's interesting like how we, like how the media really in FIFA and uh, UEFA was able to control the narrative, mm-hmm. and really have folks thinking that oh, this is like gonna destroy yeah. football. Yeah. You know, and this is so different than what's going on right now in in the first place. You know what I mean? like, right. Right. <laughs> like, like, what is it like right now? The top teams have you know. Every one of the top teams have either um, like a, a, you know some billionaire uh, family, financier family, a lot of Americans, <laughs> yeah, some chic right. family or um, Russians, or, yeah, 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 and and you know for the for Madrid and Barca, you have you know the those are the you know the the, the premier clubs, you know, so these are all mega billion dollar. Each one of these are billion dollar industries. I mean, like mm-hmm. uh, entities. I mean, they're sold on a stock exchange. I mean, yeah. you, you can get some Juventus stock, yeah. you know, Manchester United Manchester stock. United, yeah. Yeah. And they're public yeah. entities. Yeah. 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 And so, then, like, to add on that, I think, I think the frustration, especially someone like in the, in England, where those people, people are worrying about like the, the followers, the supporters, or even the lower clubs is if you get rid of those top six players, right, the revenue change for those clubs. Right, so when we move into the Super League, then there's no revenue for those teams to thrive and survive. So that's mm-hmm. where the frustration will come in. I don't think it's more of now the competitive issue. I think no, but that's what was said. Yeah. So yeah. that's my point. My point but, is like, but I still, I think honest. Yes, the honest. Yeah, I'm not talking about. I'm, I'm agreeing with you, but I'm just saying that the frustration for the people. No, no, but that's not what was said. The, the what was said, even with the like, even when the you know you would show when Sky Sports would show the protesters outside Chelsea or outside yeah. Man City or whatever it is, but mm-hmm. they no one was talking about the money, yeah. right? Everyone is is talking about this is going to destroy football, the competition, this mm-hmm. and that, etc. It was all competition, competition, competition. So that's why I said, if it's really about competition, yeah. let's have all these international clubs compete. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's the first thing, if it's really about competition. But it's like, but right. I don't think it's not. Right. But I mean, the Champions it's League the did say they were going to expand to 36 teams. Yes. Right. right. Didn't the Champions League say they were going to expand to 36 teams? But I don't know what really that means because, like, even the Real Madrid. Uh, president said, like, no one understands the Champions League. Like, even I don't understand it. Right. All right. I know you get, like, like you said, in the Premier League, the top four qualify, and then the other ones go to uh, to, to Europa, Europa. Right. right? But it's right, like, right, what right really is the Champions League, right? right? What it really is it? I mean, it, it, that's my yeah. point. My right. point right. is, right. so is like, Europe, Europa is already there, right? <laughs> Europa is already there as the European competition. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're going to have a Champions League, 
Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Let's have the champions of the world right. compete against each other. Like that, like to me, like if we're this is what I'm saying about like the dishonesty. So, like, you know, what the media, what the, the narrative has done is it's confused the the you know the working class supporter of these teams because mm -hmm. now they're they're out there saying, Oh, this is gonna destroy competition. No, like we're not even like right now, we don't even have pure competition. That doesn't exist. And it doesn't exist in any sport, period, because like the way it works is monopolies, right? Like in anything, once you, you become a monopoly, you have the resources, you get the best talent, right? So these big clubs get a lot of big talent. But what I'm saying is that's fine for now. And what, what I keep saying is like, if part of the thing, what I, what I think is the reason for not opening it up to the international uh, clubs is because this is gonna, what it's gonna do is it's gonna really open up the pie and it's gonna make a bigger pie for the non-European clubs. Because also, as we all know, all of these, like you look at any of these top teams, a large majority of their superstars are not native Europeans. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? So, and a lot of these folks are from warm weather places. <laughs> right? So this is, a, this is the other, it's, it's like a funny, it's a funny part about this story, right? So if you, the way I look at it is like if you open this up where now I can play at River Plate or um you know uh I don't know uh Flamingo and still get like international like I, of course if I'm playing at River Plate I'm getting national views in Argentina and you know in in South America and stuff but now I can become an international star because I'm playing and everybody can see me. The reason we know all these, you know, all these uh, European stars is because this is what this is what we see all the time on all the the, the media platforms, right? It was marketed, yeah. It was yes. marketed to us, yeah. So, so and now if if, if we have like a, a true Champions League, where if I win, you know, and and so I'm at, uh, at River Plate, I'm balling out and I win. Now I'm a international, like, you know, everybody knows me, right? They, the River Plate jerseys are selling out the stores, et cetera. You think um, all the Messi, right? Messi, uh -huh. the Amir, like all the Argentinians, right? Uh, Aguero, all of these guys, you think they're not going to want to go play for, uh, for, for River Plate? Where they're gods, you know what I mean? Like where they will be gods and they're in the warm weather. And the, the reason this actually came to me is like funny because I remember uh, years ago when uh, Tevez was at Man City and in the middle of the season, he broke his contract because he said it was too cold and he needed to go back to his warm, like his warm homeland. Argentina, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and all the news report, like it was like a joke, you know, like, you know, oh, this guy is crazy, et cetera. And, but that struck me and I was like, yes. Like people want to be where home is. Mm -hmm. And if they had the opportunity to earn the same type of lifestyle and, you know, get the same prestige if they're home, chances are they'll stay at home. So imagine yeah. like all the, all the Argentinians playing in the Argentine league, all the Brazilians playing in the Brazilian league, all mm -hmm. the Nigerians playing in the Nigerian league, all the Egyptians playing in the Egypt. I mean, like they, who would be talking? We won't be talking about the EPL. It'd be like Burnley, Aston Villa. You know, like right, right, right. Because right. because the talent won't be there. The talent will not be there. And I right. mean, you know, um, Zlatan. You know, Ibrahimovic. You know, I know he's no crazy things recently, but he said something like that, and I agree with him. 
He said, well, what if, but he said it more on the international level. You know, what if like, you, you know, France winning the World Cup, you know, Africa won that World Cup. Everybody yeah. can kind of make that case, yeah, 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 yeah. right? Because you had a lot of guys of African descent. But what if those guys decided to play in their country? Yep. You know, France isn't winning a World Cup. Yep. No, England isn't, England wouldn't be very good. No. I mean, yeah. no, I mean, like, so, that's the, the the Dutch. I mean, like, you can go down the line. Dutch, like, it's yeah, not, go down the line, sure. I mean, so yeah, so it's, it's, no, but it's something that, like, so for me, when this, when this, this Super League thing came about, I was like, and people started talking about competition. I was like, maybe I'm missing something. But for me, I can understand making the money argument, you know, saying that, oh, no, you know, this would take away money from us. Um, but don't like, let's keep it like, let's just draw the line and not make this a uh, uh, discussion about um, competition because that's not what this is, even in this current state. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. even in this current state, the winners of the Champions League, you know, maybe 70% are these, these 12 teams. Yeah, right. Um, right. And then the other, um, you know, 30% are the teams that weren't a part of the 12 teams that they were going to invite. Like, Ajax, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, right, right, like, you know right. what I mean? Like, so, like, I, I'm not sure I understand, you know, this, 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 this argument. But, um, but yeah, so mm -hmm. it's just something, yeah. I think it's interesting that the, the power of media. Um, it is, man. Media is a very, very powerful tool. You know, you saw all these folks, all these fans at Chelsea and yeah. Liverpool say, oh, yeah. you know, Forget um, Dan Kroenke of Arsenal and F him and Kroenke out and this, that, and the other, yeah. Abramovich out, yeah. you know? So yeah. they made it feel as though it was the fans yeah. that made that happen, yeah. you know, which I don't think it was the fans that, you know, right. that made that decision. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All these teams started to pull out, you know, it goes back to, you know, again, that narrative, you know, that you mentioned. So, yeah. That's, yeah. That's yeah. The media is a powerful tool, man. Definitely right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah man you know it's, it's been it's been a pleasure um you know one of the things i should say about you is that you you know a, another piece about for football is only um i mean i think i told you this is that you know it's important for us to give folks their flowers while they can smell them you know um and we don't we meaning you know just as a group, period, um, footballers or men, whatever you want to, whatever group you want to do, we don't do that enough um, uh, in acknowledging folks while they can actually, um, you know, appreciate the acknowledgement. You know, it's usually right. at the funeral or, you know, like, it's, it's like when somebody's not even around, you know, like, right. oh, yeah, you know, Justin's like, he's official. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, why can't you tell this guy? You know, like, told him when he was alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's, you know, in a casket and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready to go six feet under. Yeah. Yes, indeed, right. indeed. And so, you know, that that's a big piece of because um, there's, you know, the, the thing is, we know that there's a lot of folks doing great work. You know, like um, be it on the coaching side, be it on the playing side, be it, you know, uh, advocacy, policy, programming, administration, etc. Um, but like everything, only a select few, again, this is the narrative creation. Mm -hmm. So only a select few get acknowledged, right. And get, mm -hmm. you know, pushing the media or whatever it is. And, you know, everybody think, and so then folks get this skew view of, oh, if I think football in America or football in DC or whatever it is, those mm -hmm. are the people, you know, and, 
and then you know it creates this like um it's like a you know it's, it's almost like a sick undercurrent where the, the the folks who are really on the ground doing the work you know what I mean? right. it's like it's like you you're you're doing the, the parent development with 300 plus families and then you know next year is going to be 600 plus etc so you do all this work but it never gets like no one even knows about it right so mm-hmm. there's they think it's some somebody at this other club that's doing all the development in the entire dc area you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. all the ballers come from this one person <laughs> like, right. which which you know if i mean it does, it's something that doesn't even make sense but it's easy that if that story is pushed out there people mm-hmm. will believe it Mm-hmm. So with this platform, you know, one of the things we, we definitely try to do is make sure that folks know and folks get acknowledged uh, for their contribution to the game uh, and, you know, the world of football. And, you know, for you, you know, one of the, a few things I want to say is, you know, thanks um, for all that you do. You know, the things you talked about today are, you know, some of the, the things that folks may know just, you know, externally, right? They know you. You run, uh, you know, Quick Feet. They know the tournaments and all these um, different programming. But what folks may not know is that, you know, you. One of the things, um, I think about you is that you're always willing and interested in engaging in, you know, pushing forward the culture, and the discourse, um, and I and 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 that's a very important skill and attribute and resource to have in any community, you know, in anything that's being done because the the culture doesn't move forward if there's not folks to talk about pushing the things forward and, and presenting ideas and having discourse, you know, and just being even willing to listen and take take some ideas and then, you know, mix it up and then build on that, et cetera. And it's one of the things you do well. Um, you know, you're always in you know, we're in all these different group chats and, and, mm-hmm. um, and forums and stuff. And I think um, it's something you should be acknowledged for and uh, definitely appreciate it as, you know, being one of the, you know, what I would consider like a thought leader in um, pushing the idea of collaboration, right? So even even that, like, of course, it sounds simple. Like, oh, yeah, just collaborate or whatever. <laughs> That's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do because, you know, when you first start off collaborating with folks, it's like you don't know what the expectation is. You know, you can set expectations, but you don't know what they're capable of doing. You know, you don't know what their motive is. Um, You don't know what's driving them to do this. You know, all of that is is, is the unknown, you know, when when you collaborate. But, you know, I appreciate you, you know, um, you know, saying what you just said, because I just think that at some point in time, we, we, we all share the same mindset. So when you all share the same mindset, at some point you gotta come together. You can't be fragmented. And when you're fragmented and you got this person doing this, that person doing that, that person doing that, and you never come together, you never build a strong soccer culture and a strong soccer community. It will just be a group of folks complaining, which is what we see sometimes or hear on our WhatsApp groups, just complaining and saying they should do this and do that. You, you wait a year from now, those same folks who said they're going to do something, they're going to do nothing because they haven't done anything in 40 something years. And unfortunately in soccer, we have a lot of those people, you know, a lot of these coaches who are dinosaurs, you know, in a sense, and some of them, you know, I talk to and stuff, but they, they, they could have done this 40 years ago. You know, but they're now talking 40 years later about the same thing they mentioned 40 years ago and nothing has changed, you know, so 
I mean, I want to, you know, appreciate you for your words. And, you know, I want to, you know, commend you guys as well. You guys have a absolutely, you know, this is a fantastic platform. Um, as you said, it's for footballers, you know, and this is a rarity, you know, in the whole podcast scene, you know, like you have mentioned before, you know, there are tons of podcasts, tons of things that you can listen to, tons of things you can watch on, 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 on football. But when it comes to actually talking footballer to footballer, guys who play the game, you know, in um, one, you know, podcast or, or, or in one circle, just kind of talking about things and just kind of airing it all out there. You don't get that. You just don't get that. I mean, I've listened to a ton of podcasts. I've listened to some that are just diplomatic, but this one is real. This is authentic, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I definitely, you know, want to thank you guys, you know, for providing this opportunity, you know, and this platform, man, this is great. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks. Thanks. No problem. Great. How, how can, uh, how can folks get in touch with you? Sure. So, um, you know, because I wear so many hats uh, in terms of organizations, um, you know, Quick Feet Soccer for Kids, uh, that is my primary uh, organization. So uh, you can go online, uh, quickfeetsoccerforkids.com. You know, any parents interested uh, in getting their kids involved with soccer, you know, we, as we said, we like to call ourselves the first kick, the first opportunity for a child to see, you know, if there's an interest in soccer. And if there isn't, you know, we hope that the kid takes away something you know, whether it's uh, the ability to listen, the ability to work together in groups and so forth. Um, so my email address is uh, J-R-E-I-D at quickfeetsoccerforkids.com. Uh, you can also call the office line. The office line is 833-725-3338. You know, so it's really 833-QUICKFEET, you know, Q-C-K-F-E-E-T. Um, that's one, one organization. And of course, with the, the DC Cup, uh, that we're going to have coming up uh, from July 2nd to the 5th. Uh, this kind of goes back to the collaboration. You know, the goal is to bring uh, together clubs in the DMV, specifically clubs that don't run their own clubs, uh, uh, sorry, not their own tournaments, and have them come in as founding members, you know, of the DC Cup so we can grow together. Um, so this will be our second year doing it. We started it as friendlies, but now it's going to actually come into a full-fetched club. So we're getting uh, interest from clubs in California, you know, North Carolina, Georgia. So they'll be coming up uh, this summer. So that is uh, dccup.org. Uh, I could send me an email. My email is jreid at dccup.org as well. Um, and then as I previously mentioned here in the podcast, uh, I'm also co-founder of the Black Soccer Membership Association. Uh, so if you go to blacksoccercoaches.org, uh, you can also send me an email at jreid at blacksoccercoaches.org. So appreciate it guys yes 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 yeah. any any um with all, all those contacts any ig handles yes certainly so um you know instagram handles for all of them um you can go to uh at real bsma you know for the black soccer membership association mm-hmm. um instagram for the uh quick feet soccer for kids you can go to at quick feet soccer for kids and then uh, for the dc cup you just go at dc cup 2020 and um, yep, you'll be able to find me there as well. Find us there. Awesome. Nice, nice. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. You know, I knew it, was, it would be a, a great one. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it was good. It was, it was, it was. Uh, we cover a lot of grounds, um, but we're definitely gonna continue the conversation, and and I'm sure we're gonna have more uh, episodes. You know, focusing on different aspects of the game. You know, it, it could be. Um, 
I mean, I have some ideas as usual. <laughs> you know, yeah, I always have some ideas. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, it's been it's been it's been a joy and a pleasure. And I uh, want to thank you for joining us again. Thanks. Yeah, a lot. Th thanks again, fellas, and uh, keep up the great work, man. You know, for footballers, this is a outstanding platform. So yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, take it easy, All right. guys. Too. Later. All right.